Hello and welcome to the Stanford podcast. This is Graham Cook in my home office turned recording studio turned home workout recording area. <laughs> it's a bit of everything now. So I've, I've spent eight hours working here. I've then just done a workout on the floor and now we're here. So I think I'm just slightly going mad and cabbage fever. Of- <laughs> That's because boys aren't very good at multitasking, Graham. You're getting a bit confused. You should branch out and spend time in some other rooms in the house. <laughs> it's like a treat. You sleep there as well. Well, I could do, to be fair. Food just gets delivered to me. Yeah, I could do. <laughs> oh dear, it's tough life, isn't it? First world problems. Yeah, indeed. But six weeks or so, I'm going a little bit. I'm going a little bit mad. But... um yeah. So I realised on listening to last week's episode that at the start of every recording, I start in the same way. And even I thought it was getting a bit boring, but actually there is only one. But you've there done is, it again tonight. Uh, no, no, because there is only two of us. Well, plus guests. But so we have no Molly. But uh, as you've heard, Lucy is with us. Yes, of course. Of Hello. Course. Hello. Um, how Hope are you're we? Okay, Molly. Giving yourself the night off there. Yeah. The, the, we we do this weekly, but only Molly can double book herself. But <laughs> yeah, on lockdown. Yeah, agree. How is that possible? Far too okay. popular. We believe her. <laughs> yeah, thousands wouldn't. This week uh, we have two guests with us, um, and I'm very excited for this one because um, I think I'm going to learn something. So <laughs> I think you definitely will. <laughs> the basics. Yeah, I'm going to take a back seat. <laughs> Uh, we have Gemma and Sarah Jane joining us from the Conversation Stanford. Hello, good Yay. evening. Hello. How are we both, first and foremost, most importantly? Really well. Kind of busier than ever, even though it's a strange time. But yeah, actually really well. Counting my blessings and being able to be at home a bit more. Although, you know, days are crazy. But yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, all good here as well, really, all things considered. Um, busy, but enjoying the slower pace of life i guess strangely content despite the strange set well Gemma's not so sure yeah so how many children do you have between you is it five six 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 Six. oh you've both got (laughs) oh no not six six. sorry (laughs) three each three each You I wasn't any kind of hint as to their behaviour. We do yeah. have three each. Devil children. <laughs> you developed a stutter. Yeah. <laughs> you thought Graham was losing it, but you're losing it. <laughs> six, six, six. So three each. Well done, ladies. My goodness. <laughs> I do admire, have a huge amount of admiration for anyone with more than more, anyone with a child, or certainly more than one. But in these circumstances with young children and husbands and lockdown and confined areas but you still you're smiling I'm, I'm impressed you know what though I think in some ways it's easier with three because at least they have times where they entertain each other I know you've mm-hmm. only got one haven't you Lucy and actually I'm sure you're pretty full-on no, not at all <laughs> I don't see her she's just in the bedroom <laughs> doing all of her schoolwork online yeah we go on a dog walk a day each and that's about it fantastic sounds good yeah. Very happy, no complaints at all. The conversation Stanford, how did it come about first and foremost? I guess it's a slightly long convoluted story, so I shall edit it. (laughs) But we started life as part of another charity called Alternative Stanford, which did a range of really great work in the town and, and isn't running anymore. But they had a kind of education arm, so they started off going into schools to sort of deliver a little bit of relationships advice in primary schools. 
And me and Gemma were kind of asked to kind of come on as like a voluntary capacity, really, to look at their, the work they wanted to do. And because we're both quite controlling, we weren't really happy with just having a look over it. We sort of took it over. <laughs> Um, and it went from there and then I worked for alternatives for a little while and he came up really for somebody to take over the education work on a more permanent basis. I was up for it and I wanted definitely wanted Gemma on board. We didn't really want to do it without each other. So we did that for a few years as part of the, the charity alternatives. And then in the summer, last summer, we decided to go our separate ways and the conversation Stanford was born. Mm. Many people will know of alternatives and many people will know about yourselves. How would you summarise in terms of of what you do. I think when you answer it, it's a bit Ron Silwin and does exactly what it says on the tin. But for those people that haven't pieced it together, what is it that the conversation does? So we um, create and run workshops and we take them into schools and colleges, run workshops on a variety of different subjects, but essentially we're providing external PSHE provision, which is personal, social and health education. And we run workshops on self-esteem and identity, on relationships, on mental health and on cyber wisdom and stuff related to social media and the idea is that we just get young people talking about issues that we think are really important to talk about in kind of a professional context. Sex and Relationship program with Year 6 is how it started uh, but we felt a real need to make that a really cohesive program that goes up with um, students over the years but that also integrates mental health and relationships and all that sex education it, together because actually it's when we kind of separate those um, kind of elements of life that it all falls apart because actually it's all entwined. We try very hard to kind of, um, especially with the older teenagers and, and that year group, to not kind of go in with this is what you need to know, this is how you should behave, this is what we think. It's all about kind of facilitating a conversation, getting them to kind of share what they think about it what they think about how much they should be on their kind of devices, what they think about social media, their experiences of cyber, of cyber bullying and, and things like that. And, and in that way, I think they feel that they're not being preached at, but they sort of, through discussion with each other, kind of come to the right conclusions, really. calls them to kind of make uh, those ethical and moral discussions their own and actually they come out with those conclusions that hopefully will enable them to thrive that's kind of always our overriding aim actually the discussions that we have there'll be loads of opinions that are expressed by different students and some by us and we'll often play devil's advocate and actually what we hope that will come out of that discussion is that actually they they realize what um, elements of those discussions will enable them to thrive as people and as they as they get older and and as they often not as they get in relationships and as they become more independent. So have they given you sort of, you know, has it been a, a positive response from them particularly? Can you see that, you know, it's, they've obviously benefited from it? Yeah, definitely. In terms of, we, we often get evaluations from the kids formally and we get some really good feedback on that. And often kids mm. say to us, you know, we don't get to talk about this much. It's really good that you could talk about this frankly. And we've had yeah. some challenges over the years because, you know, we've had to teach some of these workshops for the first time and it's been really daunting actually mm. going into a place and really talking very openly about some of these really quite tricky topics. Um, but always we get a response of, okay, that was not what I expected, but that was really helpful because you were so open mm -hmm. and honest. And that's what we really appreciate hearing. That's what I was wondering whether in asking them, you know because they're the ones experiencing it and living it now 
you must have possibly had an idea of how it would unfold or how you would structure it but in asking them have you must have learned so much yeah definitely I mean I think um every time we do one of our workshops um we kind of come away sort of and it's slightly evolved maybe just based on mm. the response and also some of the, the workshops that we've done the sort of sixth form and um, we have one called a sex too casual I think every time we've done it and we've done it quite a lot it's been different because obviously mm -hmm. they've responded in a different way and that's just been really interesting and fascinating actually to kind of to hear them to chat about these conversations um, to chat about these topics and just have that opportunity to share their opinion and share their ideas um, is always you know we really enjoy kind of hearing that we actually enjoy hearing their ideas on it um, mm. Oh, and they're probably just relieved that they're having this conversation with someone that isn't their parents or auntie or older sister or because they, they it's their opportunity to speak openly which they wouldn't otherwise have necessarily i think all the time it's just uh, we try to ensure we make sure we're not being you know we're not going in there as some kind of moral judge that's not our yeah. aim our aim is to enable discussion and to present the choices and options and to acknowledge that young people aren't stupid, actually, which I think is really important because mm. they can make those decisions for themselves, knowing the choices that they have and knowing the implications of those choices. What's your favourite thing to talk about? With what age? <laughs> Ooh, I think I've I think I've got a couple of favourites, but um, then I will then I'll maybe do a presentation I haven't done for ages, and I suddenly will 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 love it again or something like that. But I really love the presentation we do with Year Nine, uh, generally Year Nine, which is about healthy relationships, noticing kind of unhealthy patterns in relationships um, and healthy patterns in relationships. It's an awful lot of them getting to make decisions there's a there's a lot of debate in it and i really enjoy that so they get to kind of um look at different behaviors in relationships and decide whether they think it's healthy or unhealthy it's really not clear cut um we're deliberately <laughs> ambiguous i find it hard to choose um i really really enjoy doing a presentation we do with your sevens which is on self-esteem and social media because i think it's so so important and i just get quite I guess impassioned when we when we're able to teach that when you see some of the um, young people's responses actually in all our work we work with all children together but in year seven we have two separate workshops one on boys and identity and one on girls and self-esteem and it's just based on research of particular kind of sticking points at that age which is mm -hmm. why we separate them and yeah I really enjoy both of those because I think it really allows them both to really speak out about issues and identity and I think identity is a real important thing and really exciting to discuss. I also, I'm a secondary teacher by trade, so I actually really enjoy working with the primaries because it's something different. We sort of loved seeing the primaries coming in, being quite nervous about the idea they're going to have their sex and relationships education, you know, and then give it half hour, hour in, they're actually in full flow and they're really talking to us quite openly. And that's a real mm -hmm. honour and it's a real privilege to be able to kind of deliver that to that kind of age group. Right. Yeah, okay. I was about to say the same my other favorite <laughs> going into the year sixes and just it's the transformation is amazing just like Gemma said they're really kind yeah. of ooh, 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 at the beginning one of those things you just want everyone to do it don't you because there's obviously so much benefit that can be had from it I mean if you notice the transformation in children in just one session how is it teaching you I mean you've got a son haven't you who's year five Gemma um does he does he have his mum sitting there talking about no you know, no 
now. Uh, I mean, <laughs> no, he won't. We ensure that if we're teaching our children, then the other of our um, team goes in. Right. So we are a team of three. Um, there's two of us here, obviously, this evening. And we also have Karis, who's fantastic. She takes a lead on our primary work and she does right. um, a lot of work with us. So she's the third member of the team. So we tend to go in teaching as pairs. So I'll, I'll duck out when it's uh, Elliot's turn, generally. <laughs> uh, but no, actually, he says he wouldn't be bothered, which is really nice. So I was quite touched by that. But I just prefer to have someone else teach because I think it's important. I mean, I'm yeah. not shy about talking about these things at home. We've already had all the discussions about what sex is. And, you know, it happened actually a lot earlier than I thought because of something he saw online. And it really highlighted actually the importance of some of the work that we do. Um, you know, mm -hmm. he's not, uh, he's only 10 and this was two years ago. So actually it's so important to kind of get that education in, in the correct context as early as possible, particularly yeah. now such a use of social media and the internet, because it's very easy for young people and children to stumble across things that are very confusing and give them the wrong messages. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, social media to me is just absolutely terrifying when it comes to children and growing up, the influence it may have on them. How do you get a grip on all of that? I mean, I just, I still don't really understand. I mean, ask Graham or Molly. I'm like, huh? What? Kids just learn things so quickly and they're just all over it, aren't they? I was just going to say, I think in a way, um, I don't feel like I could keep on top of all the kind of new apps and everything. And actually, rather than trying to worry about the social media itself, I think it's actually more important to kind of start those conversations on these kind of topics with your children when they're really young, it, obviously in an age-appropriate way, but so that you, you create a relationship where they know they can come and talk to you about it, mm -hmm. where it's not like a secretive, private or taboo topic. And then whatever it is that they might come across, if you've got that open relationship and they know that they can talk to you about it and they can kind of, you'll, you'll listen to them and you're not going to judge mm -hmm. or criticise or whatever, then I think yeah. that's more important rather than trying to worry about, yeah, oh, I don't know about point. that and I've got yes. to keep on top of it. I'm learning every so much. Graham, are you learning anything? <laughs> oh, I've made so many notes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing is that actually, obviously it's important as parents and adults to set boundaries. And I think the other thing is to actually make sure you're putting those boundaries in place in, in your kind of social media life as well. I mean, you said perhaps that isn't something that, you know, particularly appeals to you, but I love social media and I can easily get mm. something to my phone. So actually I'm very conscious that I need to make sure I'm sticking to the boundaries that I expect my children to stick to as they get older, um, particularly as they're older and they get phones. And I think as well, one of the things we're really pushing schools with young people is that idea of self-regulation that actually you need to take control over your social media otherwise it kind of can take control of you essentially and to say look this isn't just an issue for you guys this is an issue for us as adults as well and it's something we've all got to get to grips with but actually you're the people that are kind of what's called the digital natives those that have had phones you know kind of right from the start of your adolescent years and you need to mm. kind of set the pace and you need to to sort of set the rules on this for yourself and for those that are around you. You've mentioned a few different age groups and year groups. You offer from year five, which is not, yeah, check the person who doesn't have a kid. Uh, <laughs> from nine year old to sixth form, how does that in terms of what you offer to those age groups change throughout the year? So year five, as you said, is our, is our youngest. And that's also our newest program, actually. And that's about mental health. So we, we, we talk to them about mental health and well-being. Um, 
again, because of some research, kind of local research and nationwide research about um, year five being quite a kind of key age when self-esteem can take a hit. Um, and it's really important to try and get in at that age kind of conversations about, about mental health and well-being. So we start there and then um, we revisit, we revisit mental health um, in, in small ways, I suppose, or in a kind of as part of all of our workshops. But then we really kind of tackle it again, if you like, in year 10. And in between, we do the puberty and relationships work in year six, in year nine and in year 11. Of course, that varies very much in year 11 because obviously they're 16 plus and we're able to speak about a little more. Not supposing that all of them will have active sex lives or anything at that age. But obviously we can presume that this might be something that is particularly relevant for them over the next few years. So we can speak quite differently about the kind of physical aspect of relationship. And then in year seven and year eight, so sort of um, the early teens, we, we talk about social media a lot cyber wisdom um identity self-esteem post-16 i guess trickier subjects around yeah consent and again around kind of morality sj can you remember the statistic that actually is quite relevant to do with um viewing pornography online i cannot remember the exact statistic but i can remember that quite a large number of children have seen a um an image of sort of an, an indecent or a pornographic image by the time they've left primary school. And actually uh, that's the real argument for why it's so important for us to address this in year six. You know, some, not so much now actually, but there are a few parents that are a little bit reticent and think, oh, actually, you know, is it a bit young? Do I want to break kind of my child's naivety? And actually often our argument is that actually it's really important that they learn this as kind of factual information almost before it becomes something more complex than that in terms of feelings and relationships. Um, actually for them to learn it as factual information is important first before they get to senior school, before they potentially see things on the internet that actually are incorrect and unhelpful. And before they get kind of some of the the wrong information, the myths that go around that actually are going to be really unhelpful. That, that all these children are better prepared for what is inevitable and what's just around the corner. Definitely. And it's not just about knowledge. It's also about safeguarding, because if um, children children need to understand obviously about their private parts and the parts of their body that actually are private to them and that no one else should see and touch and actually that's really important to discuss as well um, and that safeguards obviously children as they're growing to identify if there is anything that is inappropriate as they're getting older and growing up. Mm. They're what? also learning that there are adults that they can talk to you know just by the very fact that we're going into school and we're talking about these subjects they're, they're learning that actually oh this is something I can talk about this is something I can ask an adult about I don't need to kind of go on Google or I don't need to, mm. you know, ask my friends or whatever. I can ask an adult in a professional way, you know, a teacher. Mm. That's, I mean, that's a huge step forward from when we were at school. That just, that just wasn't available. I mean, there was, my daughter's about to go to senior school in September and just from going to various open days and things and talking to various teachers and heads of department, a really prominent figure now in senior schools is the head of pastoral care. Huge part of life at senior school absolutely i mean teachers expectations of teachers are very high you know they're they're not expected now just to educate formally children in the areas that they're trained in they're actually expected to look after them pastorally as well and i think there's a, a right element in that because it's an important mm. 
it's even more important than, than the stuff that perhaps is being you know taught for exams but there's a lot of pressure on teachers to teach that and that's one reason why kind of we created our company because we want to be able to alleviate that pressure a little bit the more we do this the more experts we become at it and the more experience we have in it so we're able to impart that which is great mm. and just kind of help schools to really give a kind of up-to-date content to their students is a real aim of ours when often teachers don't have the capacity or time to be able to do that in terms of the workshops do you just offer them through local schools predominantly we're, we're schools we um we have done some work in um a care home actually for adults who were the disabled friend of Gemma sort of got in touch with us because she realized I think that there were these young adults in this care home had been completely missed by um by kind of school um in terms of their sort of relationships and sex education so we so we did go into care homes um but yeah we are predominantly schools we've been we've been contacted by a couple of businesses to do some some work on helping parents understand young people's mental health yeah, and certainly we're hoping to expand our working businesses over the next couple of years. So that's something that we're looking for bookings for. Um, in terms of how to book us, our, um, we get most bookings via email or by recommendation from other schools. Um, our email address is talk to us at theconversationstamford.co.uk. And um, we get bookings from local schools. We go into about 24 local primary schools at the moment. And over the last couple of years, we've been in about 12 or 13 senior schools. But we're looking to expand year on year as um, our availability expands, as we've all got children. So as our children get sent off to school, my final one is going to school in September. Should be emotional and probably more excited. Um, <laughs> but uh, our work can expand even more, which is great. And we're really excited about that over the next couple of years. As long as funding continues, we really want to be going into more schools. And we really want that conversation to continue over the years. We find that actually in some schools in Stanford now, we see these students year on year, which is really great because we can build a bit more of a rapport with them. And that's really helpful when you're tackling some of these subjects. Sounds like you've got the primary schools covered. Are there 24 near here? Well, we do a lot of different areas at the moment. We do a lot of Rutland schools, those schools around Bourne as well, and Chapel in Grantham, Stanford as well. So there's a different areas that we work in, but there's, there's plenty more out there. And we'd love to hear from new school contacts. We'd really love to um, spread the programme further. We're really proud to say that in the primary sector, we've never not been rebooked as yet. So that's really encouraging for us, having done this in the last kind of six years that every year these primaries rebook us and this mm. is the time of year where we get bookings for the next academic year and they're coming in already so that's really exciting for us mm. and at this time really important for us because we really need to know that next year we're going to have work because <laughs> obviously <laughs> for the next few months we don't <laughs> yeah I think it's lovely as well when you say about you're going to see a lot of these children potentially through their whole school career because you know each year they get the conversation top up don't they so if there's parents listening who would like their child to, uh, to go through the conversation, it's a case of parents engaging with the schools and then contacting yourself. Yeah, that's the best way is for parents to kind of prompt their schools, you know, particularly parents that have influence or pass it on to a parent governor who can then prompt their schools and um, to get in touch. Normally there's a pastoral lead in a school or it may be that it's the year five or six teacher that gets in touch sometimes in primaries. And yeah, to email us or contact us through our website or social media 
is the best way. It's definitely something in the future we've chatted about doing like more sort of parent workshops as well as going into schools because um, not that we would in any way claim to be kind of parenting experts, I mean parents in how to talk to their children or how we try and encourage those conversations in families. We try and avoid what is going on now because everyone's bored of it but for parents who are homeschooling or spending far more time with the kids than either they planned or in some would like to what would be your advice to them now or would it vary significantly from an age demographic point of view it does vary i think um so obviously parents and carers and often grandparents as well at home are having to kind of tackle the fact that they're children are at home more and obviously a lot of parents I think are feeling guilty about the amount of screen time their kids are having which I think is not helpful and actually I think that could be something that's thrust on them by the people and that's really important to say you know you really shouldn't be feeling guilty about this because actually it's inevitable that young people you know particularly older children and and teenagers are going to be going online a lot and for schoolwork, for social interaction, and actually allow them to have that social interaction online because it's really important. As long as it's in an obviously appropriate context, it's really important for teenagers particularly to be able to cement their relationships, you know, friendships-wise as well, over this time. Um, but also it's a matter of, you know, talking about how much screen time they're having and keeping that conversation open, like we talked about earlier, I think is really important. And celebrating the stuff online that actually we can get involved in at this time. And there's so much out there. And I, I'm, my eyes have been open to it with uh, my children at primary school. The amount of kind of apps and different stuff that we've been investigating and using technology for has been exciting. Rather than them just constantly being on, you know, the same game that they kind of can get sucked into a bit too much. Um, I think it's really, really helpful. And I just think generally speaking, we've got to remember that these are kind of extraordinary times. We're sort of living in a kind of emergency situation, really. The most important thing we can be doing is, is kind of bonding. I, I definitely find it helpful not to compare too much with what other families might be doing um, or how much homeschooling might be happening or enjoy being together as a family unit and, and kind of make the most of that. And taking those opportunities to get out and exercise as well. I mean, I really do hate the word exercise because it gives me nightmares. <laughs> I am not an exercise person. <laughs> I've been getting involved with the Joe Wicks pee every morning and I'm very proud of myself. My children, however, have not at all. I've been doing it on my own. Um, <laughs> been annoying me and asking for snacks, but you know, that's nice. <laughs> but getting out and going for walks, you know, even is really important. And actually, so if, if you've got a bit of balance, then we don't need to worry about, you know, being online too much. Actually, it's just about finding that balance, isn't it? For each family and how it works within that framework really i think that comparison piece is really interesting i think it's actually shown us that we put certain people whether they're people we know or celebrities on a bit of a pedestal you know they must have the dream set up the dream life everything's amazing and actually this has kind of given a little bit of an insight into their lives whether it's fr- through social media whether mm. it's the gym classes they're doing you know, the likes of joe wicks i know he's that he's hurt his hand this week but almost that little insight of life that you know, they're struggling as well they're finding it difficult and i know there's been certain and posts I think Sam Smith got a bit of a pasting yeah. for crying on his uh, doorstep of his four million pound house so ignoring the likes of that and not wanting to go into that it has it has actually I think brought people together and
and in some respects boosted people. You know, they're able to compare that, oh, do you know what, actually, I'm doing all right, I'm, or I'm quite normal in inverted commas. You know, this is just part of life and the journey that we're all on in our own little ways. I think that's been really good. The number of people doing kind of live stuff as well just makes it much more authentic, doesn't it? We don't have those polished performances necessarily as much at the moment. And I've really appreciated that, you know, when even friends have done certain things live online, I've really sort of enjoyed the realness of that and not having to kind of just see the polished performances. And I think, like you say, it's the same with celebrities like Joe Wicks. You get that feeling that actually it's a bit of a leveller, isn't it? That actually we all, especially now, are obviously stuck in a similar situation. Did you see that thing where the Rolling Stones all played on that? But yeah. you know, so you've got Mick Jagger just like rocking out in his sitting room. Yeah. <laughs> And they're all just linked up to perform together. And it was just amazing. It was just so completely raw, obviously. Claws or anything at the end, but it's just so cool. It's just but The best bit about that was um, Charlie didn't have a drum kit. So he was sat on a chair yeah. playing. No, he was playing. He was just tapping away like the drummers were there, but he was playing right. a box and a chair. Oh, right. He didn't have anything to play along with. I, I thought it was some kind of high-tech drum kit that was just like <laughs> some kind of electronic thing. I didn't really, I was like, what is he doing? Yeah, no, just, there was nothing yeah. there. <laughs> right. I know you don't want to focus on it too much, you said, but the Soundsmith thing I think was really important. And I think, think actually it was pretty harsh, the slating personally that he got about it. Because actually, like you said, it kind of just shows that we're all human, doesn't it? And, and you know, wealth and size of house is actually not really that relevant. I'm not no. saying I don't appreciate the fact that, you know, I've got a lovely garden and a reasonable size house that I can kind of spend time in. I, I realise that might make it slightly easier, but actually it's not always about your circumstance. And of course we know that mental health and wellbeing is not directly related to your circumstance. So I think that's a really important point actually that was brought out in kind of conversely against that post yeah. that was kind of slating him. Hopefully it will also show people that it doesn't really matter what, how much money you have or what car you have or what you own, it's just stuff. And the reality is you and your own well-being and your friends and your family and all the stuff that's actually is important in your life and hopefully they'll be able the people with all of this stuff that aspire to all of this stuff will hopefully get some kind of wake-up call that oh actually it isn't that important really at the end of the day i mean consumerism is at its lowest isn't it in i've saved a fortune <laughs> but i mean i'm a devil amazon i'm on these daily routes but actually, um, clothes-wise, I'm terrible. But through this, yeah, I, I haven't. I think the one that makes me is to summarise it is, um, yeah, it doesn't matter how much money in you, you have in the world. So someone like Rita Ora, but she still can't get a decent Wi-Fi. <laughs> I've seen her on so many things and it is painful. Oh, it's reassuring. God. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's... Um, it makes us all feel better. So well, I'm loving it. Yeah. I'm used to being at home quite a lot and I'm used to not really having any money so it's really not made any difference to me <laughs> it's just like all the same but almost better really I do miss the kind of relationship social element I mean I've loved kind of the odd zoom call with people and I've I've actually mm -hmm. chatted to people that I wouldn't normally talk to which has been really brilliant which has been lovely mm. that you know, I've caught up with people from way back which has been fab but there's nothing like that face-to-face, -face, is there? I mean, Zoom is face-to-face, -face, no. not quite the same. There's something about it, something missing, and I'm looking forward to getting that back. Yeah, not being able to hug anyone except the people in your house, you know. Mm. Just whilst we're on 
individuals and yourself. So this is about the conversation stuff and overall, but in terms, just bringing it back to yourselves as individuals, because part of this podcast, we want to meet businesses, charities, but we're also about the people in you. How did, Jimmy, you mentioned before about your background is actually being a teacher. How did you either fall into this or this become something of, or somewhat of your passion? Um, so I trained as an English teacher, a secondary English teacher, and I've always absolutely loved teaching. And I really love books and I really love reading and I really love language. But, and, but actually when I was sort of practicing teaching, this was um, in Kettering, I found that my main passion within teaching was actually the pastoral element. And I, um, I was pastoral lead of a head of year for a while. And then I had children and did a bit of tutoring and kind of stopped full-time work. And it was during that time that I realized that what I really love is the interaction with students. It's not actually the subject, although I'm passionate about that, I don't have to teach that. And kind of just really enjoyed kind of leading my tutees through that kind of learning experience. And then after that, after I was sort of um, called up by the conversation to, well, not by the conversation, sorry, by alternatives at the time, to get on board with kind of bringing that project together it just really excited me because I've always had a real thing about empowering young people and I think a lot of our work that we do now and a lot of the work at the beginning was always about that it was always about empowering young people and that's what really excites me that's what really drives me in this role. I definitely uh, didn't think when I was younger when I grow up to be you know when I grow up I want to be kind of a sex education teacher. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to be a soul. <laughs> I wanted to be a soldier and then did in fact join the army for a little while and then um, started doing a little bit of supply teaching assistant work and absolutely loved it working in the special educational needs sector working with young people who've been excluded from school and I really loved it and I did that for quite a long time I, and I kind of worked my way up to working as a as a teacher there and then when I had my children when I had my daughter I just didn't go back to it when my maternity leave ended because of logistics it was at that time that I was asked to come along to sort of look at the work that alternatives were doing doing that I think I just discovered that I was really interested in what kind of what made young people tick a little bit but also in making kind of lessons and teaching interesting and a bit different and as interactive as possible and fun and engaging and I suppose after doing a couple of workshops and presentations just realized how much I love doing it and that I was okay at it and those things combined really I think it's important to say as well because you just mentioned it SJ that actually we've talked a lot about the fact we have a lot of discussions in our workshops but of course they're interactive in lots of different ways as well we use a lot of video content that promotes discussion we do a lot of group work um, we do a lot of kind of debate work you know there's loads of different creative ways that we engage the young people and children in our work and you're both clearly very passionate about it people buy into passion that gets you in that's that's a star and whether you're a child or an adult that passion clearly comes across and will form no doubt a huge huge part of it do you think for either of you having children has changed your thoughts understanding of the conversation as a whole yeah I think we are both of the opinion that we really would like these topics to be talked about more and more in schools by the time that our children kind of get to those stages and mine are already getting there. And I think that is part of our drive. I think we all kind of want to make, without sounding cheesy, want to make the world a bit of a better place for our kids, don't we, growing up actually. Um, and as a parent, you feel that quite intently. So I think that's 
really important. I think it does kind of change the way you want to sort of engage young people. I try and practice what I preach in having these kind of open conversations. My children are a little bit younger, so my eldest is six. But I try and have, you know, these kind of conversations, you know, around this topic when they come up, when they are brought up by them. Because I just, yeah, I really want it to be something that's, that's talked about, that I just feel that in our family, that I want it to be that in all families, really, they can talk about, you know, relationships, sex, puberty, and it's not a taboo subject. We often talk, don't we, with younger people um, about the importance of kind of young children even knowing their body parts and, and their private parts and proper names for them. We, most of the time that's worked for us with our children there's been moments when it's been quite funny when perhaps <laughs> my three-year-old has talked quite factually about a vulva or about a penis <laughs> and it hasn't necessarily you know gone down 100% well with the people around them but we do think it's really important that actually these are just body parts like an arm is an arm a leg is a leg and we shouldn't be thinking that these words are rude words because they're just parts of our body and we're just talking about them in a factual way and I think we think even from young children that's really important that they're able to talk about their bodies and that's also a key part of safeguarding that I've read to earlier as well. Conversations that people don't like or struggle to have money or finance is a big one especially for adults how currently are you <laughs> are you funded or, or what are the fundraising sort of things that you do? So we charge um, schools for going into the schools but we only charge them a small amount so it doesn't cover it basically covers our teaching time. Um, we are experienced teachers we pay ourselves at a very minimal teaching rate uh, as kind of newly qualified rate as it were just to be clarifying about it all um, and actually what the schools pay covers the teaching hours but of course there's a huge amount of uh, kind of marketing admin um and all the other stuff all the resources that we use all the stuff that we have to buy is covered by or needs to be covered by grants and gifts and so we are currently in the process of applying for a couple of grants but we also are actively seeking kind of community funding for the next couple of academic years so if there is anyone that's listening to this podcast that feels they might be able to contribute to help support us um, to kind of be ambassadors for us as well not just financially but kind of to be able to get our name out there and help us to be able to kind of spread the word then we'd really appreciate it. As I say it is a difficult conversation but without that it doesn't exist right that's the harsh reality yeah absolutely we're a not-for-profit business so we're a community interest corporation um we're not in this to make money we are in this to kind of get to naught at the end of the financial year really that's our aim so we just need the money to keep us going month to month and, and year to year and as a new business that's been kind of challenging this year we've both been keeping an eye on the balance sheet every month I'm sure that's happened. and um I'm pleased to say we've made it through the year and I hope that that will continue next year. But we really do need people to get on board with us with that. You mentioned before around year five and self-esteem being a big piece there and that is how you've began to evolve. Where do you see this evolving to, or just the conversation in general, evolving to next? What are the next big things? Is it, is it something that we already know about? So mental health, cyber bits that you've mentioned about year five or is there actually something else that you're starting to see become more and more prominent i think it i think actually in terms of the kind of topics that the, the the things that we're covering are still uh really important and actually i think our focus is just trying to get that talked about in more schools you know kind of doing more of the same if you like and more opportunities to see um children right the way through their school year so Gemma mentioned earlier that we some schools we, we see the children you know when they're kind of 11 and we see them again when they're 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 
I think that's really important having that kind of consistency um, so that we can kind of keep continuing you know the conversations as they go through their school year rather than any new topics as such. And also making sure that um, we continue to kind of combine the subject matters together mm. because traditionally and in the, uh, in the past few years there's been a lot of criticism that from Ofsted actually in schools but also from other uh, bodies that actually sex education and relationships education are kind of taught very differently at primary and secondary school that in primary school um, it's talked about in kind of a rela just re loose relationships and friendships kind of way and not really any of the facts and then in secondary school it's all facts and there's not a lot of kind of discussion about ethical choices etc and actually what we've always been very passionate about is combining both and making sure both go throughout primary and secondary education so there's lots of things um, for people to to get in touch with and hope i hope that they do where can they find you if they want to do uh, website social media etc so we're on various social media platforms. We're updating our Instagram and Facebook pretty much daily at the moment. And we're the Conversation Stanford. And we're updating sort of kind of, our, I guess, lockdown tips, but lots of practical ideas for families and for young people to kind of help them with their mental health and well-being at this time. And we're also kind of trying to, you know, promote some kind of conversation about mental health and, and encouraging young people to take control of that at this time. But we're always um, updating those platforms so that's a really good way to get in contact with us. And we'd love you to start following us to kind of get involved in the conversation because we don't want this to be about what we're saying, which is the same as we are in schools. We want on our social media for it to be a real interactive platform with the community that they can get involved in our conversation as well. And we've just launched on Twitter as well. So we're hoping to be able to use that a lot more over the coming weeks to initiate some debate about some of the subjects that we talk about. Thank you very much. Before, well, we've got a few things to, to wrap up on. And thank you for joining us. I should have said that before. You were the, when I was talking to people about doing this podcast, you were one of the first guests that one of my friends actually mentioned, say, oh, you should get the conversation Stanford on. Yeah. Um, because she's in uh, a teacher and doing a, a new qualification in a, in a similar field as well. So yeah, thank you for joining us. And I hope that the people have, have enjoyed the listen, learned something. I certainly have and have made lots of notes. <laughs> just and what one piece and this is completely it can we carry on from what we've discussed or can be completely separate what from what you have learned so far in current climate i'm sorry i should have prepared you for this what would be your one piece of advice for people listening my my advice would be to take it day by day live in the moment a little bit Something I've discovered is just actually that there's some amazing countryside around Stamford. Walks and woods and quarries and little streams that I just didn't know were there. And have, having had the opportunity to sort of explore them on my doorstep has been lovely. So that's just something I've discovered, being out with the children on the bikes and walks and, you know, finding tadpoles and fun stuff like that. <laughs> I think there's um, a lot of variables depending on who you are at this time and what you'll find helpful. But personally, for me, I found that creativity has been absolutely the key. That actually there's this kind of drive to maybe just consume a lot at this time because, you know, there's not much to do and we're stuck at home. But actually, being able to be creative, being able to kind of get stuck into baking or if you've got family, get them doing kind of crafty stuff, painting stuff. In fact, we've knocked down a wall in our house because, you know, it's the perfect time to do it. So, and actually that's really helped me mentally get through this time and just have some focus and some creative projects on the go. You know, whoever we are, I think you can access creativity in a different way. And we always say that actually 
in our work when we talk about creativity that it's really important and everyone is creative just in very different ways yeah oh no absolutely uh i've just started i've started watching a series on iplayer so everyone can get it i imagine called normal people and it's i love it i love it it links in to you lovely ladies doesn't it a little bit <laughs> it's just so it's just a great story i think i love the sort of subtlety of it in a way there's not lots of these these two young people that meet and there's not lots of like chat and show and mm. anything it's just quite raw what their what their relationship actually is and becomes and means to them and so on it's just quite pure in a way i suppose and just quite an interesting I think it's very insightful. It should probably come with a warning that there is a lot of sex in it. So if that is not something you enjoy mm. watching, or if that's, something, <laughs> if that's something that offends you, then it's not good to watch, is what I'm saying. Um, but it is very perceptive, I think, of not every young person, of course, but of some pe young people's experience. And I think it's mm. sort of really interesting messages subtly put across about kind of expectations of sexual behavior mm. and it comes good I think there was a moment when I was watching I was thinking oh gosh this is pretty horrific I really don't want it to end like this but actually I think it's a really interesting story and I think it really asserts some important points about relationships and about um, sex within relationships as well which mm. I think again don't get discussed and often don't get shown on television particularly in a fictional context like that so that's normal people on iPlayer and only because it's come from Lucy we um we just need to say there is some full frontal nudity <laughs> normal people so please check it before um it may not be suitable for everybody listening or for uh, for certain eyes so what would we but what would you say Gemma and Sarah about we, so you haven't watched it maybe but having watched it would you be happy for your 16 year old to watch that possibly not it depends mm. on the kind of child you have i suppose but no i don't think i would because i feel that actually it's the sort of thing you'd watch when you've had a relationship in some ways it kind of yeah had your own experience before you can fully evaluate that because it's pretty full mm. on so i would say actually it's an it's more for adults when you when you do press play, it does state parental guidance lock. This program may not be suitable for children, so that <laughs> may is our, not be. definitely that that is our public service announcement for this week anyway. Okay. <laughs> now taking us back to something we discussed last week, uh, we spoke about places that are open for food, drink, takeaway, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We had some minor technical difficulties last week so unfortunately a couple um, had to be cut away because of the sound issues so three I just want to mention to make sure that everyone is aware the first is the London Inn are doing uh, amongst other things I'd take away Sunday dinners and I know that someone from not in Stamford rang up and booked a Sunday dinner delivery to their family member who is alone and was isolating in Stamford so they are definitely one to check out the other one, Wine Bar are doing various crates of wine. Each week they're doing a delivery and that now goes out to Peterborough. So those that are, are short on wine. Third is the Cheese and Wine Cellar who have been open throughout and they were one that I personally used, I think on the first week and it was amazing. So 
They are also on social media all the time. And places that are open, please tag in the Stamford podcast so we can continue to share. Which takes us neatly onto the Shop Stamford piece. Something that Sarah is doing as part of Shop Stamford is asking for all the businesses that feature in the little stamp book of Stamford to sending a short clip or video of themselves and their business, which they'll put on their social media pages was a little bit of a slow start. So she's given them a kick and a shake and they've started to come through, but those that haven't, please do so. Mention for those that have at least so far and have been posted, the Arch Label Agency. I said they're always on social media and do a grand job, Stanford Cheese and Wine Cellar and also Moreno Silver. Get them in, make sure we do it. It's free marketing. Sarah does a lot of the hard work. So please people just um, yeah, feed them in. And then the last one for myself. So starting this week, I am doing a 30-minute weekly workout in collaboration with Mindspace. Targeted at all levels, and Gemma's looking very worried. (laughs) (laughs) It's targeted at all levels. So (laughs) this week we did 14 different exercises, but each can be changed and adapted to make them harder or make them easier. It's 30 minutes. It's all for Mindspace. We're trying to raise a little bit of money if we can, and... Uh, a little bit of awareness for Mindspace, but really it's just to give people an opportunity for them to get 30 minutes of a fresh air or just work up a sweat, burn a few calories. It's good for the physical health. It's good for the mental health. I'm not as good looking as Joe Wicks. If people would like to join, it's 6 p.m. on Tuesdays. You need to get in contact with Mindspace. They'll send you the invite if you, it's all on their social medias, but it's info at mindspacestamford.com. Send them an e- email by 3 p.m. on Tuesday, they will send you an invite and it would be great if people can, can join because otherwise I'm just working out to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a bit daft. So yeah, that was mine. That was mine. I just wanted to get that in and Mindspace were obviously great for the podcast when we first started. That's where we recorded the first three, four episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah Mindspace. To, yeah, it's great to be able to start to re-repay that. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thanks, ladies. Thanks, Thanks, great chats.